I've been looking forward to. It's my turn. I've had a few people ask me, since I've asked everyone else to come up here and do this testimony thing, and, and for this outreach service that we're going to do, why haven't I done mine? Where's mine at? Being the pastor, I'm supposed to be the leader. Well, I saved myself for last, because that way, in case any of you didn't show up, I had a backup plan. But I wasn't looking forward to airing out my dirty laundry here, though, but here we go. Um, I have a scripture that goes along with this that God's gave me, and this is going to be, uh, it's kind of leading up to Sunday morning's message. Kind of a two-parter, but I'm going to give you a little taste of it tonight. Proverbs 23.7, the first sentence of Proverbs 23.7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So he could be a man or a woman. But if we say it like this, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And the heart there is not the muscle inside my chest that pumps blood. That's not what they're talking about there. If you look this up in the Hebrew, it's your spirit or your soul. What's inside of you, your inward man, who you really are. Not this body, not the flesh that we're talking about here, but who you really are. So if you believe in your heart, however I believe I am in my heart, that's who I am. However you believe in your heart, that's who you are, that's who you're going to be. You get that? Does that make sense to you? We have a spirit. We are a soul. We possess a body, right? Spirit is like our breathing, living person that lives inside of us. Our soul is our mind, will, our emotions. Follow me so far? Your body is the flesh, right? So we start off here. I'm going to start from the very beginning. I was born, everybody knew that, right? I was born in Kansas City, Missouri. My parents, Forrest, or everybody called Eugene, and Debbie lived in Excelsior Springs, I guess, when I was born. Um, I was born spiritually dead. Just like everyone is. We're all born spiritually dead. Since the time Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the fruit of the, the fruit of knowledge, um, we've, we've all been spiritually dead until we come into contact with the Holy Ghost or with, with Jesus Christ. Um, so how I was raised up a little bit is my, my, one of my earliest memories of life, and this may be painful for some of you all. Some of you knew my dad, my mom, may be painful for her, I don't know. But this is what I felt like I had to tell everything that I could remember from when I was a child. One of my earliest memories was when my mom and dad lived on Park Street. And I remember my, my dad beating my mom up. And I'm not saying this to talk bad about my dad. Don't take it that way. I'm saying this because this is how I grew up. And I'm giving you this. I'm giving you a feel for this how I grew up. I remember my dad beat my mom up, though, and punched her. And, like, they had those little bitty tiles on the floor. I can remember it real vividly. Vividly, it was yesterday. And blood just falling out of her face and splattered on the floor. It's like the earliest memory I have of as a child. Uh, and my mom... She was more of a timid type of person. My dad was a lot more of like, he partied and he was, he was rough. You know, that's how they were. And they would have been a couple that you would, wouldn't think would be together. I, I wouldn't think my mom would be together, but this is, what, this is how I grew up. Um, I was the only child until the day before I would turn five years old. Um, the day before I turned five years old, I, my little sister was born. They told me she was my birthday present and that didn't know at the time, but I got really ripped off. <laughs> no, I, I liked her until she, I liked her a lot until she got old enough to talk. When she started telling on me, I didn't like her so much anymore. But uh, so we, me and my sister were the only only children. I was five, I'm five years older than her. Um, I can remember people coming, like the police coming to our house and looking for stolen stuff. I can remember my uncle Sammy coming there. And if you all didn't know my uncle Sammy, he was you would think he was a maniac if you didn't know him and you met him. For real, he had an eye patch on when his eyes were poked out. 
Huh? He was a maniac. Yeah, he he would. They call in, in prison. They call him Savage Sam. That speaks for itself. Um, and people of that caliber really respected him. They were afraid of him. Um, so when I was four years old, my beginning of my spiritual life, I guess I didn't really have a spiritual life, but you know, still spiritually dead. When I was four years old, my grandma Joyce, she passed away recently. It was my dad's mom took me to Messenger Chapel, and uh, I was involved there a little bit. I guess I was four years old. I wasn't. I didn't know what I was getting into or whatever. But I was in, in a Christmas play, which brought my mom into the into the church, and she came in. Apparently, she got saved and she stayed. She became a Sunday school teacher. Uh, and so now I have one parent who was in church and training me up, trying to train me up in the right way, and I had another parent who was living in the world pretty far. And I know my dad believed in God, but he never lived that lifestyle. And uh, they got divorced when I was 10 years old. And I used to, I remember when I was a kid begging my mom. He, my, my dad, when they would split up, my dad would ask my mom, come back, come back. And I would say, don't do it, don't do it, because I knew it was going to be more fighting and more, and it was like, mentally it was tough. I don't know if some of you raised, grew up in, in a house like this, I'm sure. Mentally it was tough for me as a kid. I'm sure it was tough for them too, whatever they went through. But uh, <clears throat> I didn't have a real relationship with God. What I'm saying all this stuff about when I'm a kid, though, your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, who you really are, is brought on by what you're around, your surroundings that you're in, the things you hear, the things you see, the people that you're around, and how you react to those things. You get what I'm saying? Ever, there could be two different kids living in the exact same environment, the exact same situation, and they react differently to it, so they're two different people. They have two different souls. They act differently. This is my testimony tonight. I'm trying not to get into preaching. Um, this is how generational curses get started. How we do with our kids, how we are around our kids when they're young. And it may be not even your kids. Maybe it's your grandkids. Maybe it's your nieces, your nephews. Maybe it's whoever it is. Maybe it's just that the kid comes to the church and they see you doing the things that we do sometimes. This is how generational curses get started. They look up to you. They call you a name of respect. We need to live up to those names. If, we're, if, I, if I tell my kid, you're their uncle, or you're their aunt, or you're their grandpa, or whatever it is, they... From that time on, they're looking up to you. So they think things are normal. I grew up in this in this type of environment, and I thought that this was normal. Yeah. Because in my world, I had never known anything different. I thought this was normal. I've seen my dad and my uncles do all these things. I've seen them come in with trash bags full of weed before, my dad and Eddie, and, and all wet where they swim across the creek or a river or something, getting away from whoever they stole from and the cops. And, and I thought this was normal. How do I know any difference? I'm, I'm a kid, you know? So when I was 10 years old, they got divorced. Um, they got back together just a short time later. Um, they separated again. My dad left when I was, my graduation day, he told me to tell my mom I was going to, he was going to bid a job and he'd be back. And I didn't see him again for a while after that. He ended up, he was living with another woman when I met him and they, they ended up married later on down the road. I'm going to get into that a little bit later. I'm not saying this talk about my dad. Me and my dad got along great later on. When I was a kid, it was rough to grow up like that. But later on, we got along great. He was a good friend of mine. Um, so later on in my teen years, I kind of fell away from church. I got I got into girls a little bit more. I had I, I think what I saw all these things growing up. So that started my generational curse. This started off who I was, who I thought I was, because the way I was thinking about myself. You get what I'm saying? The scripture goes longer here because it says, "For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he." 
So in my heart, I believe this is who I was. This is what I had to be. This is all I could live up to. I thought this was normal. This is legitimate, right? Probably many of you can re relate with this, I'm sure. You thought this was legitimate. You thought this is the only way there was to go about this is normal. And the rest of the world will bit off kilter, I guess. Um, so my generational curse began, uh, my first real girlfriend, I guess, I was with her for a little while. I moved out of my mom and dad's house when I was 17 years old. My dad told me I couldn't do something in this house. I forget what it even was now. I said, all right, I'll move then. So anyways, I moved in with this girl. However, find out she cheated on me. Probably a lot of you can relate to this too. That kind of sparked it for me. Right there when that happened, I can relate to your testimony because of that. Then I thought, all right, I, up to that point, I thought that, <laughs> that, that wouldn't happen to me. It wasn't going to be me. When it did happen to me, then it caused me to start treating women like that. Started having me not, I, I thought everybody was like that then, so I didn't have any respect for any of you all, and I was going to do whatever I wanted to do, and I was going to do it my way, and so I ended up, uh, I graduated high school, but I was living this kind of lifestyle. I hadn't got into anything else yet besides just playing around with women, but I, I didn't treat any with respect, and I didn't treat them right, and this like started to spiral, and it started to snowball on me. Y'all understand this? Probably some of you been in these same shoes. Um, I went. To, I was out of high school for a month, and I was. I went back to aircraft school. I was in there for six hours a day for a couple of years, five days a week. Um, while all this was going on, the devil. I believe now in hindsight. Then I thought it was because I was tough, but <laughs> in hindsight, I believe the devil tried to kill me. He knew that my mom had poured things into me. My grandma had poured things into me, taking me to church. And the Bible says, train up a child in the way that shall go, and they shall not depart from it. When they're old, they shall not depart from it. Right? And I believe he knew that. The devil can't see into the future. He didn't know God was going to call me to preach. But he did know there was something there. He did know that, that they had started some sort of relationship with God. So uh, when I was in high school, I skipped school one day. I was helping. Uh, we were putting a motor in a car for some money. We did it for a job for a guy. And I had a 77 Cutlass Supreme fall on my head. I looked it up today. That weighs 4,100 pounds. And it, that's what the scar grew from. It cut me there and kind of up like this. And it was, didn't really, I mean, it's close to everybody getting knocked out. But it hit me on the head. I heard the chain break. It was about this far. The motor transmission was hanging on a chain. Always said it. it was about this far in front of my face. And there was a concrete floor like this behind my head. And uh, I heard the chain break and I got my head, it came so fast. I got my head turned about that far. And it hit me in the eye and my head came, I, it was like it was in slow motion. My head hit the floor like that, came back up, it hit me again. And then it pinned my head on the floor, and uh, my friend was sitting on top of the car, and it, he heard me, when it hit me, it knocked the wind out of me. And he said, are you all right? And I said, get this car off me. Well, I had a couple other choice words I threw in there when I said it. And so he, he hops off and jacks the car up, I get out, and uh, drove myself to the doctor's office and got my head sewed up. But anyway, it was... Yeah, I felt pretty good. When I pulled up, there would have been blood running like this. My insurer thought I had the top of my head cut off or something. Anyway, so that's one time that I believe the devil tried to kill me in that. And, and God protected me. God was with me, even though I wasn't living for him. I, I, even at a young age when I was in church, I had asked God to forgive me of my sins. And I believe that he did. But I never had a real, true encounter with him. I didn't have something that changed me. I didn't have that thing that got into me and changed me. You see, when... When, when you have a true encounter with Jesus Christ, he changes your, your spirit. It says the spirit of God speaks to you, to your spirit. So when he changes my mind about my spirit, then my spirit, it's up to me. I'm going to get this a little bit later. But it's up to me. It's up to me to change my mind, to change my soul. 
change where I'm at. And a lot of us are in these same shoes today in church. Whether you have the same background as me or not, you may get into church and you have a little bit of encounter with Jesus and you feel him, you feel that touchy feely thing, that little tingling thing you feel sometimes, not little, it's huge. But you feel that, but where do you go with it? You can't walk right back out and keep doing the same things you've been doing. If you keep doing that right there, you will fail, you will fall. It's up to us. He renewed our spirit. It's up to us to renew our minds and change our lives. See, since Adam, I'm getting into my Sunday message, but since Adam, you notice that the word is renew. To renew, that means it's to do it over. That means you had it once before. Just like Adam, Adam had it once before, he lost it. So that's why we're born spiritually dead. But when the Spirit gives us, he renews us spiritually. He speaks to us through our spirit. It's our job to listen to that spiritual man. Our soul has to listen to our spirit and be corrected by our spirit and be changed. Does that make sense to everyone here? Y'all getting this? So, another time when I was in aircraft school, I, I used to go through cars like I changed my underwear. I, I blew up motors all the time in cars. I had all kinds of parts in my mom and dad's garage. I'd take Mustangs apart just to have parts for other cars and stuff. But anyways, I had a, I had a car that was built up pretty well, and I was passing cars. on. We, we were racing. We had to donate time to the Connie, an old airplane, to get our license when I got out of aircraft school. So I was passing cars on the shoulder, and I was doing like 90 in second gear, and uh, I heard this big bang, and I thought I blew the motor up in it. So I looked down at the gauges, and they were all good. And uh, so then I started thinking someone's tire threw a rock and broke my sunroof out. That's another sign the devil tried to kill me, I believe. And I looked up at the sunroof, and when I did, there was a trickle of blood coming down my head, right down my nose. And I thought, I, then I, at that time, I thought it was glass. So I reached up and I pulled it off, and it was a bullet that was expanded out. Like it was a 22 stinger, is what it was, but it, it's a hollow point. I had bullets laid in the console, and one of them rolled in the cigarette lighter, and the electricity made it go off, and it, came, it shot up and shot me in the head. So I had to make my head sewed up again. But first, I couldn't miss any more time in school in the section or I had to take the whole section over. So I got a towel out of the back seat, held it on my head, got the bleeding stopped, and this guy that was with me, I had him go in a gas station and get some band-aids, and I put a couple band-aids on my head like this, and went on down there and did what I had to do, but my head swelled out so far I could see my forehead. Anyway, on with the testimony, so I feel like the devil tried to kill me a couple times and stuff out before God could get very far with it. Um, then I met Shelby's mom, not long after that, I'm not sure about the timeline exactly, I met Shelby's mom. Uh, I, she got pregnant. I ended up, we got married because she was pregnant, basically. I, we'd already broke up, but we ended up getting married because she was pregnant. I was trying to do the right thing, thought I was doing the right thing, but I wasn't doing the right thing because I was still running around. I'd tell her I was going to get cord oil and I'd be gone for a week, or I'd tell her I was going to do this and I'd run off and go do whatever I was going to do. Um, during this time, uh, I bought some weed to sell it. Don't ever think, I was hoping there'd be more kids here tonight, don't ever think that any drug is minor because I bought some weed to sell it. <laughs> I wasn't ever going to do it. I'd never smoked before. I'd never done any of this before. I was 25 years old by this time. I'd never even smoked a cigarette or anything, but I bought some weed to sell it to make some money. I was always about making money. Then I ended up smoking some of it, and then that led on to smoking some hash, which is a derivative from weed. Then that led to buying some cocaine to sell it, then some meth, 
than some mushrooms, than acid, LSD, crack, and it became down to the point where I went through all these things, and one thing led to the next thing, and one thing led to the next thing, because I got here on this step, and it wasn't that big a deal. I didn't feel like I was here. It didn't kill me. No consequences, just like I'd seen my whole life. It didn't seem like there was any consequences at the time. You follow me? Yeah. And it became to it came to where I had a lifestyle, whatever, whatever, anything goes. I can do whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, I had a little scare. With, was a little scare at the time. The DEA came to a house that I was living in, and I had someone there that knew the people that lived there with me and knew knew all of us, but they weren't looking for them. And they came with their guns out and all the stuff, you know, how they come. And uh, I wasn't there, but they came. This person told me, I don't want to tell any names because a lot of people, a lot of people know some of these people, but they told me that they had been there and they were going to be back later with, with some arrest forms. So I had guns and all kinds of stuff that I'd had in the house and I stuff hidden places and I tore the headliner out of my car getting my stuff loaded there as quick as I could and I took off and went to my dad's house and my dad just happened to be going to New Orleans and I went down there with him, him and his wife and I and I told the, the person I was living with, you know, we got a good bit, you know, it's done, this game's up, they, we've got to get out of here and he said, oh, they're not going to get me and he, I went to New Orleans and he went to prison because he didn't want to, he didn't want to take a reality check. Through that time, I stayed at my dad's for a while. My dad was completely against me being on drugs. He used to threaten me to beat me up and all kinds of good stuff all the time. Um, I got clean through this. Uh, I got married again. I got divorced during the time when I was running around doing drugs and running around on her. I got clean, and I thought I was doing good again. You notice there was no God in the situation, though? I didn't, my, my mind didn't think in, internally what I was thinking about myself. I still thought I was still that same person because I was thinking naturally minded. I wasn't thinking spiritually minded. I wasn't listening to God. I didn't have God in my life. This whole time I was doing these things too, it was like I had this big giant void inside of me. And I'd try to use drugs or alcohol or women or whatever things I could do to try to fill this void. But no matter how much stuff I put in that void, it never filled up. It never went anywhere. It never even got any smaller. In fact, it might have just got bigger. I mean, it was just, there was more and more of a void all the time. So I got clean. I got married to my second wife. And uh, we did all right for a little bit. Not long. We were, we were married less, a little less than a year. And uh, her brother, who was a completely innocent type of person, never been around drugs or anything like that in his life, he, he decided he was going to buy some coke to sell it. And he got her to try it. And then she, and it was all over again. Started on it again. Uh, he ended up, they found him dead in his house. And uh, she she told me, basically, the end of that deal was she told me if I went to my dad's wedding, not to come home. And that just sparked something in me that I never went back again. And uh, So then the, the party was back on again for me. My dad was my friend by this time, and we had a lot in common. You know, when I got, I, when I was younger, I was kind of a mama's boy, I guess. I wanted my mom a more, because my dad would take off and be gone for days at a time. And so I had... My mom was there for me always, so I was close to my mom. When I got older, I had a lot more things in common with my dad, so I was closer to my dad for quite a few years. For a few years, you know. My mom, she was still going to church and still the spiritual type of person, and I didn't really want anything to do with that. I had to, I was trying to figure things out on my own, and I was failing miserably with it. Uh, so I went to my dad's wedding, left, and I went and stayed at my dad's house again. Uh, ended up divorced. Remarried, I, 
basically, you notice the pattern here. I've been married three times by now. It's not working out for me. I'm trying to do this my own way. I'm not having God in the middle of it. Didn't even realize that's what I needed. I was just looking for something. There was a void there. And I tried to be cleaned up for a while. I knew I needed to be cleaned up, but it wasn't working out for me. So I got divorced from my third wife. Um, this time, I didn't go back to drugs. I traded one evil for the other one. I started drinking heavily. Before that, I didn't drink. I drank when I was a kid in high school. But when I was doing drugs and stuff, I didn't drink all that much. I did drugs. So this time, instead of going back to the harder drugs, I thought I'd do better. And I'm just going to smoke pot and drink this time. Chase women a little bit. I was dabbling. This went on for a few years. Partying and things going on this life lifestyle. It's getting boring enough. It's the whole same thing over and over again. Some of, a lot of you all probably relapsed before too. And I, I relapsed a few times. Trying to do it on my own this whole time. Um, that's why I laughed the other day, Crystal, when you said, you all have it so much together. <laughs> Only because of God. Only by the grace of God. I don't have anything together on my own. Um, so I was looking for something the whole time. I was drinking. I started smoking pot, chasing women. And then I got to dabbling in church. When I moved to Oric, I started dabbling in church. I knew I needed something. I knew the type of women that I was running around with, the people I was running around with, they weren't cutting it. They weren't going to get me any better than where I was at. wasn't going to work out for me. So I started going to church, and uh, I, I prayed one night laying on my bed. I prayed that God would use me to do something great. And I prayed that he would send a, a good woman into my life. And he answered me right then on part of it. He said, you're going to preach. I said, oh, no, God, not me. And I, did, I didn't tell one single person about that. And I never went back to church again after that. For like two or three years, I didn't go back to church again. And a few years went by right after that since I didn't listen to God. God put a call out of my life, Stephen. And I didn't listen to him. And the Bible says the call is without repentance. So you know what he did? He had to break me down. So be careful. <laughs> I'm telling you. When he puts that call out there, you have to answer it. Because it says it's without repentance. Repentance means it never goes away. It's never going to go away. So I was living in Oregon. I found out I had a felony warrant for me at the time. Uh, this is my arrest record, by the way. I brought this up here to show you that I've been down some of the same path that some of you all have been down. I don't let anybody read it because I'm not proud of what's in there. And again, I don't, I'm not saying it to brag, but this is where I came from. This is where God brought me from. He had to let me go through some things so that I was ready to listen to him. Um, I found out I had a felony warrant, so I had to move out of my apartment. I had a duplex. I had to move out of it in the middle of the night because that's the address they had that were coming there looking for me. I knew they would be there at any time. I went to Stephen's house and stayed in his basement for a while, him and Samantha, and uh, the party was really on there. We drank all the time. We smoked <laughs> a lot of weed. We did a lot of things, and this, I shouldn't even laugh about that. But one night we sat in his garage. I think it might have been the first night I left my apartment, and we drank a half a gallon of whiskey. Just two of us. And, you know, some people might think that's an accomplishment. You can drink a half gallon of whiskey, but you have a problem when you can drink a half gallon of whiskey. There's something seriously flawed about that. It shouldn't That shouldn't be happening. I'm not saying it to get on you. I'm telling my story here. But there's something wrong with that. Uh, so this went on for a while longer. I ended up moving out. I moved to Corning. Um, I met Brenda, my wife, the one everyone here knows. Um, she wasn't in church either at the time, but she'd grown up in church. She was completely different than me, though. She didn't look anything like me. I had to hide a lot of things from Brenda to start with. And then, but she worked for the court. She's actually <laughs> the one that printed this off for me. You ever think someone like me would be dating someone that worked for the judge? Oh, that's really backwards. She printed this off for me. That's, they get on the, 
I forgot the name of the program, but only the court can get stuff. So ended up one day she ran, her, one of her friends ran my name and she called and asked me questions about a bunch of this stuff. So that was a long, really awkward conversation, but God was starting to change me at this time. And, and she was out of church, but she wasn't against it. So I talked her into going to church with my mom. I've told you all, or she's told you all the story. Um, I ended up taking a job that went on, I had to go on the road. I went to New Mexico, Arizona, um, a few other places. Far from home, but I think that was good. It got me out of the atmosphere I was in. I was partying with a lot of people. It got me out on the road, went to a different place. I didn't know anybody else. And it kept me away from Brenda for a while because if she had known who I really was, she probably wouldn't have had anything to do with me. I know she wouldn't have if she had known. But God had this all in mind, and it was that woman that I prayed for, I believe. And a lot of you all need to do the same thing. You need to pray for that right person. God's made someone for each and every one of us. I believe that God's made something for someone for everyone. True story, Steve. <laughs> God's made someone for everyone. And you need to ask him for it instead of trying to do things on our own. Um, so, anyway, things started coming around with us a little bit. I came back home. Um, I don't remember if I was just home on a visit or what when at this time, but her and my mom nagged me to no end to go to church, go to church, go to church. And I said, all right, I'll go to church. So I went to shut them up. And I went to Messenger Chapel, and Pastor Leonard preached and was doing the altar call at the end of the service. And Darla stood up, and a lot of you have heard this part already. Darla stood up and cut him off at the end of the service and said, there's a young man here with a call on his life, and I think he already knows about it. And, and I was turning around looking, God, I mean, I'm not that young anymore. By this time, I was 35 or 7, somewhere in that area. And I was looking around behind me and trying to figure out who it was. And Greg Hendricks is the only one I've seen. Well, maybe it's Greg. Uh, I know she doesn't know this about me because I didn't tell anybody. So I took off, got up, took off out the door. And uh, when I went out, started getting back to the funeral the foyer, when I went to the first set of doors, she grabbed me by the back of the arm. She said, that young man I was talking about tonight, that's you. But you already know that, don't you? And I didn't say anything to her, and I went right on out the door, and I called her later, and I said, you know what, Darlie, you're, you're right. But since you know so much about it, calling can mean a lot of things. We've been talking about this. I said, since you know so much about it, what am I called to do? And she said, I don't want to tell you. I, I want you to pray about it fast, do whatever you got to do, get a hold of God. But I already know him. God had already spoke to me. Just like I can't tell you what your calling is, God has to speak to you, and then I have to bear witness with that if I know what it is. Um, so, anyways, it went on, time went on, and I kept hounding her and nagging her. And guess what happened? One day she said, you really want me to tell you? And I said, yeah, I do. She said, you're called to preach. Well, so, from that time on, it was like the cat was out of the bag. I had to be real about it from then on. I couldn't, I couldn't suppress it or push it down anymore. I had to get a hold of God, and I had to pray to God and ask him, you know, all right, God, you called me to do this. I got a pack of cigarettes in my pocket. Smoking, smoking weed still secretly from Brenda, you know. How's this all going to work out? I'm, I'm addicted to cigarettes. That's the worst addiction I've ever gave up, I think. Um, so God delivered me from things. One thing at a time, he delivered me from it. And then, you know, the weed went first. And I, I really like to drink. When I drink, I like to drink to get drunk, though. But I really like to do it, I thought. My flesh liked to do it. Um... And I tried to make it all right, even by studying out the Bible, finding where Jesus made it at the wedding and all that. But it says, don't be drunk on wine, be drunk on the Spirit. And it says that I'm held to a higher standard because I'm called to preach. And it says that not to be a stumbling block for my brother. So where is it, where's the cutoff at where I could drink? 
I was thinking, you know, when we go out fishing or whatever, I can have a couple beers or a few drinks or whatever with the guys, as long as I don't get drunk, I'm fine. Where's the cutoff at, though? What if I have one too many? Is that worth my salvation? I'm going to do all this other stuff and then risk my salvation on a drink? And then being a stumbling block with me being called to preach, or even you being called to be in this church. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. People are looking at us. People are watching us. So if I'm called to preach and you see me down there having a beer at the bar, what's that say to you? I could be a stumbling block to you. And it says that if anyone's a stumbling block to one of these little ones, he's better off to have a millstone tied around his neck and cast on the sea. So I... I need to do this right now. God started see, see God started changing me through my spirit. He was speaking through me through my spirit at this time, and my thick head finally figured out that I got to listen to my spirit, and I got to start changing things through my spirit, through my physical man because of my spirit. You getting this, church? I know we're a young church here today, and I'm giving my testimony, but I'm also trying to teach you something. I want you to understand that you have to constantly be working on changing yourself, even an older Christian. You can be in church for 50 years, and if you think you're good enough, you're deceived. The devil has you deceived. You're mistaken. Paul actually wrote that one of his book. If you think you're good enough, then you, you, you're, you've been deceived. You need, to, you need to pray to God. Basically, he said, I'm paraphrasing. He says, basically, you need to pray to God and have him straighten you out. So my life truly changed through this. You know that void I had? That's what I was eating the whole time. I needed that relationship with God. I needed Jesus, just like Paul's life radically changed on the road to Damascus. That life, that void was filled. Then I just, I was hungry for God. I was hungry all the time. I read, I carried my Bible to work, I prayed, I searched, I searched for him all the time. Day and night I searched for God constantly. God is what I needed all along. You know, and, and, and the scripture that says, train up your child the way it should go and he won't depart from it. I have to say that I believe it in 100% because I was there, I got way out of line and I came back church, I would ask you about this tonight though, this, this is what I want to say to you do you want to break the generational curses in your family? no one wants that kind of life for their kids you may say well I'm older and I don't have kids now, but guess what you have grandkids you have nieces, nephews, you have my kids looking up, you have my kids looking at you you have other people in this room's kids looking at you we're examples all the time. How do you treat people? You have these people looking up to you, these little these kids. They're watching how you treat people. They're watching how you act. They call you a title of respect. They call you uncle. They call you aunt. They call you grandpa, grandma, mom, dad. It's time to live up to these titles. We need to teach them how men and women treat each other. You have to look at your daughters like this. And it was hard for me to come to these terms, but you have to look at your daughters from the time a little bitty. Grace. Say grace. I'm raising grace up to be someone's wife. Now, if I'm mean to my wife, or I'm disrespectful to my wife, or I'm hateful to my wife, or if you're disrespectful to your wife around her, then she starts thinking that's all right. Yeah. And not just my daughter, but all your old daughters. She starts thinking that's all right. She starts thinking that's the way men treat women. Or if you're a woman and you're bossy towards your husband and you're overbearing and you get what I'm saying we are examples this is how we break generational curses because their little souls are going to come up how they see us bring them up they're going to come up how they see their surroundings be if we're taking them watching R-rated movies with them guess what we're just as guilty 
or whatever we put, I'm not just picking on already movies, but whatever we put into these kids, we're responsible for that. Are you following this? Yeah. This is a big responsibility, but there's a huge payoff also. We need to teach them how to live a real life on fire for God. That's the best example. That's the best legacy that we can leave for these kids. Right. Being on fire for God and winning souls to Christ, that's better than being a movie star in front of your kids. Or a professional athlete. They can be able to look up at that for generations, and it can change your whole life, your whole household. That's about all I have for you tonight. Uh, I do want to ask, though, with that being said, is there anybody who needs to change anything with God? Have you not been acting right toward other people or however that you need to ask for repentance for? Smiling, Steve. Is that you? <laughs> There's something you need to ask God for repentance for tonight. And not just ask Him to forgive you, but then you have to actually listen to the Spirit of God. The inward witness. That's what He put us on for. It's an onboard navigation system. It's better than OnStar. You got this? He lives inside of me. And he's leading me and guiding me all the time. It's up to me, though, if I want to choose to follow him. I can override him as a gentleman. I can do whatever I want to do. He gave me free will. If he didn't want to give me free will, I could go ahead and do what I want to do. And you see, a lot of times we're doing this because we're still living in our past. Now, I can still be living the way I was living before, and it'd be easy to talk bad to someone. It'd be easy to do whatever I was doing before. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But if we're really truly striving and reaching... To do better all the time. We'll, we'll get there. And God will change us. He wants to change us. He wants to have that personal relationship with us. Right. It's up to us though. Whether we want to accept it or not. Or what we want to do with it. We're going to go farther into this on Sunday. Um, if there's anyone. If that's you tonight. You need to, you need to change. Can I see a hand real quick? Does speak to anybody? I need a change. It's me too. I constantly. Everybody's hand should go up honestly. Nobody is close enough to God. If you think you're close enough to God, you're deceived. We all need to continually change for God. If we could, let's just pray at this time. I pray that you don't forget this soon. Don't forget this soon. You know when you point a finger, there's four pointing back at you. <laughs>